Hey, what's up, guys? It's Roger. Hello, this is Juan. <laughs> you forgot and this your is name our for a second. second. I didn't forget my name. <laughs> just, this is our second attempt at an introduction, and the previous one was interrupted by text messages and cats, <laughs> and your our mom washing dishes. Anyways, so welcome to Spanglish Seminary. Uh, we're gonna try to, you know, throw in some more Spanish words. To stay true to the name, I guess, you know, say... Hola, ¿cómo están? Hola, ¿cómo están? Bienvenidos <laughs> al... Well, there's no translation for Spanglish. It's, no. it's just, it's a, it's a mixture of a word, it's Spanglish. Uh, seminary. And so this week we have our friend David Jaimes from the Brown Ecclesial Network. And what did we talk about, Roger? What was your favorite part about what we talked about? Oh, man. What wasn't my favorite part? Um, I love the fact that, that he, he brought in the perspective view of... Uh, of the church that I didn't know, um, the view where he grew up, being Christian under um, under his father being the pastor, you know, and that's and that's something that I I never grew up or knew about in other perspective views. Yeah, that that was interesting for me. I mean, I was uh, I was we we're both my brother and I were raised, I guess, Catholic by default, like through our culture, and um, I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was ten years old, and. You know, we used to attend. You were 10 years old? I was 10. They carried Dude, you? No, no. <laughs> they didn't carry me. We probably, I don't know if I have picked this, a throwback Thursday picture right there with me in my white, white on white on white baptismal clothing. But I was 10. It was, you know what church it was? It was the church over there by the Callejones. Yeah, that's right. I got the baptized. Alleys. That's right. I got baptized. You got baptized in the same church? Yes. I was like six years old. Remember, my father didn't know how to carry me. Oh, yeah. It was so embarrassing. You, you got carried. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, I, we were both baptized pretty pretty late in the game, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll discuss we'll discuss baptismal uh, theology, you know, of that. Anyways, but yeah, we were both raised in the Catholic faith, and I became walked into a Pentecostal church at the age of twenty seven, uh, and then about a few months later, I brought Roger and my mother, and the rest is history. And uh, so here we are, and we're just excited. We're excited to see a different perspective and to see that, you know, Latinos in the church are not a monolith, you know, and, and not everybody is the same and has the same story. We're a very diverse uh, group of people, and we discussed a lot of things. We, you know, we discussed the Latino church. We talked about the hermanas in the church, and we talked about seminary and studying and, and uh, different Latino theologians. And just how it shaped our identity and how it continues to shape our identity and move us forward as we love and care for, you know, what we call the, the Latino church or as we discuss in the Brown Ecclesial Network, the the Brown Church. And uh, what was what was another favorite part of the podcast for you? You know what? What was your favorite part? <laughs> oh, you're going to flip it back on I'm me. A, I'm going to flip it back on you. I think it's that. I just mentioned that part where it was it's good to see another Latino and, and his struggles within the Latino church, but also that his story is not the same as mine. And so that gives me hope that, you know, not not everybody's story is the same. And there's a, there's a, there's a story being told between all of us. And, and it was encouraging to hear, you know, how, how different yet, you know, the same we are. I think I, we talked about, about that in the end. And being able to be around other Latinos and being able to see that there are other Latinos that are interested in theology and, you know, there's no there's no judgment there in taking the things of God seriously. And I don't mean that in a, in a like, going to church four days a week and 
and you know doing everything and I mean it in in the sense of that there is a love for people there is a love for getting theology right because you you understand how people can't get hurt by bad theology mm-hmm. and I don't want to start a whole other podcast but that's that was it and so I hope you guys enjoy uh, you can follow the Brown Ecclesial Network on Facebook and your assignment for next week, Roger, is to come up with a great way to start the podcast. Thanks for putting him on the spot, man. I, well, or maybe we can ask our listeners to like message us or something and tell us, like, do we? I don't know. There's got to be a better way to, to start and end the podcast. It's we're we're learning as we go, and but but we do appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate every single one of you, and thank Definitely. you. So enjoy. Here's the conversation we had this week with our hermano David Jaimes. Thank you for for doing this with us, and we appreciate it being super formal or whatever. Yeah. Um, so let's start. How did you? How old were you when you became a Christian? I guess that's where that's a good place, good enough place to start. Um, I became a Christian. I uh, progressed in being a Christian, so I think I can't. I I I kind of question people that have like a date, a certain date. Yeah. Like it's it's. It's one of those things that I, I'm like, how do you remember that? Like, I can't even remember what I watched for TV early this morning. Like, it's, I, I remember it because I, I cried like a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for some people, it's a, it's a big thing, but I think for me, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of things that have changed over yeah. the years, and I a lot of tests that I've that's tested my faith. Yeah. So in a sense, I've been I've been born again many times. Um, so I grew up in the church. Okay. Uh, Dad's a pastor. So I gave myself away with the question because yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he remember you remember the day when you went to church. I don't think he remembers the day, but so you know, going to Pentecostal church is you know you yeah. you know the day you were quote unquote saved, yeah, yeah. and you accepted yeah. the Lord in your mm-hmm. heart, and so that's the day <laughs> you were born again, right? Yep. And so. You know, again, giving myself away with the question that I asked to start off, but it's yeah, fine. So, no. yeah, and so you were, you were, uh, you were a PK, as we call him. Yeah, I am a pastor's kid. I'm one of the remnants that, that for some reason, still continues to be in ministry. Yeah. And I grew up, it, per se, in in a Christian home, and what that means is um, my faith was handed to me. It was told to me. It was. Um, it was taught to me, and it was embodied to me. I think through my parents and my family members. Uh, I have a, I wouldn't say a lineage, but for the past two generations, maybe two or three generations, I have there are pastors and evangelists yeah. and all these things, and so this is kind of part of my history. So like your dad and yeah, your mom, my and dad, my was. grandpa, my mom, awesome. my tias, my tios, and that's just Southern California. If we go to Peru, we could you yeah. know go more into that. Um, but that's where I come from. I I, I was a uh, I was a typical church boy. Grew up in the church, uh, pastor's kid, and everything that entails with that. Yeah. But I I started to grow in my faith more and more as I got older. But I think it was challenged later, probably in high school and after high school. Like so, was it school? Like just the things you were learning in school about the world, about the way the world functioned, or was it like? Your friends, mm-hmm. what would you say? Was it more of like 
uh, educational stuff that you were learning or was it actual like peer pressure from other friends that maybe weren't Christian? Right. So that's that's what it is. And I think uh, to, to understand I, uh, the way I – one of the things about my faith and how I, I view God and I view the church is, is through the through community, through other people, through humans, through experiences. Um, that tells me a lot more about God than like something written, something – you know, preached yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I, I, as I continue to grow, junior high, high school, a lot of questions start popping up. Just like in any any kid's life, their friends they hang out with, the changes they go through, the experiences they live. Uh, education doesn't influence as much, unless you are um, very intellectual and you kind of get in those things. Because I wasn't. Yeah. But that started happening in college. But I think the biggest things for me uh, was just around how to be a good Christian, what that looks like. Because for me and people around me, we were all struggling to be Christian. So that challenged me a lot. That rocked me because I've I had friends who were Christians and that were by name but weren't per se Christians but by what we knew christian would be so there were a lot of questions and honestly a lot of them weren't answered yeah can you think of one question maybe that so so one question very basic question that a lot of kids go through is is the whole idea of let's say even in in the latino context the dancing the music we listen to you know what's what's this is it it, it gets mundano and what is you know, secular, you know, my homie here has a, has a Kendrick Lamar sweatshirt right yeah. here. And, you know, if I, I hung out with all the, the rockers, the punk rockers okay. guys, so I would, I would, I, that's where I started to listen to the Doors, Beatles. Okay, Black so Sabbath. you started hearing that. I started listening to that kind of music and it was like, you know, oh, I shouldn't show my parents this because, oh, the title says Black Sabbath right. or... Yeah, I can't show this, you know, kiss to my parents. They would get really mad. And the lyrics uh, for this is too much, the Beatles or something. So uh, it's it's starting to hit this level of of mundanalidad, the yeah. world that we're just like, okay, what can't I do? As a young guy, you want to try new things. And when you hear it at home and you hear it at church, you can't dance, you can't go to these things, you can't get involved with these things, be careful with such and such, with... Especially with girls, uh, especially with drinking, especially with drugs, and with the type of people you hung out with, and and also especially with type of people that have different faiths. Yeah. So for Protestant Christians, evangelical, you know, Pentecostal like me, cuidado con los católicos. Careful with, you know, any Buddhists. Careful with atheists yeah. or agnostics or stuff like that. You know, those are some of the things that I was pretty much. Pushed of, away. Yeah, that's kind of the same. Um, I mean, for me, how old were you? I, my brother was a little younger, but I was 27 when, you know, kind of walked into a Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. And before that, we were kind of raised um, Catholic. Not mm-hmm. like devoted Catholic, but, you know, I was I was actually baptized when I was 10. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was a little bit late on or whatever. did my first mm-hmm. communion. And, mm-hmm. and so there was always like a sort of fear and a sort of guilt. Uh, going to you know going to church and going through that sort of thing but then when i became 27 and i walked into a pentecostal church and there was a lot of there was a lot of um it was kind of transferred for everyone so for some people maybe if they're they've kind of quote unquote hit rock bottom Mm. 
that sort of thinking of yeah, you do need to cut some things off, cut off some friends, cut off the drugs, cut off, you know, things right. that are self-destructive behaviors. Right. But then I guess that gets transferred over to everybody mm-hmm. so that, you know, there's always this fear of what you do will make you lose your faith. Like, it's almost okay. like you don't even trust in, in what God can do or what Jesus can do. There's this fear of losing. And that opens up a bunch of questions because then yeah. it's like, oh, well, can you lose your salvation? Yeah. You know, what is salvation? Right. And, right. okay, and, and you start to see, right? So you yeah. start to see, I was a youth pastor, and you start to see, okay, somebody, quote, unquote, got saved, yeah. and but then you don't see a change. Right. And there's, you know, you're still doing the same thing. Or even people that do change, but they're still angry or bitter or judgmental. And, and that's what Dallas Willard calls this, uh, the gospel of sin management, where yeah. we kind of grow up understanding, okay, what I, what can I do? What can I do? You know, what are what are the rules that I, that I can break or cannot break? Yeah. And, uh, that's one of the challenging things. And as a young guy and as a young person, you, you challenge everything. You know, you always want to push those boundaries. And the church was one of those big borders. I'll call it borders. It was a big border. It was a, something that got in the way of, per se, my happiness or my, yeah. my inclusion to my friends or to parties or to whatever. Uh, and honestly, it even hit my identity. Like, who am I? And I could do this. And it would answer the question of who I am. Um, but I can't do it because apparently my faith tells me I can't dance. Yeah. Wow. So, so when we, so it, and, and this is why I think, um, later in life and how, when I work with youth, I'm so trying to be in tune with what they're being fed, what they're being taught, what are, what is acceptable to them because that's their philosophy. That's their religion you know that's what's telling them what's what's that's their ethics you know what is in and what is out what is right was what is wrong before for us uh in our you know like in our times what was socially unacceptable we'll say you know back in the day in our families was um i don't know the lgbtq community and here were i just read an article that the millennials millennials are are the generation that is most accepted and has grown up with the lgbtq community with um, being a part of that uh, of their lives, and so for for the kids growing up nowadays, it's not as a big deal than when we grew up, where we had a we had a, a it was still very taboo, and that's actually not yeah. too long ago. It, it's interesting how social social norms change. I mean, just in in studying about the early Pentecostal movement, and how you know going to the movies was a sin. Yeah. Like I, I knew I had an hermana that was very proud of and she was she was a she was an elder in the church and she was very proud of the fact that she'd never been to the movies she's mm-hmm. never stepped foot in a movie theater <laughs> and that was a source of pride for her and it was interesting because she eventually ended up going and you know she was okay she survived you know the incident but <laughs> it's it's interesting how she survived yeah and and it's this weird it's this weird line of yes there is um there are, you know, things that are self-destructive that, you know, the gospel does call us to be responsible yeah. for each other and, and, and for others. And But then that, for some reason, at least for us Pentecostals, that the, the idea of holiness, the idea of, of escaping the world mm-hmm. and not being a part of the world mm-hmm. kind of does cause damage mm-hmm. at times to our faith because you can't live yeah. in the world and not actually be in the world and do the things that people do. You know, like the the, the yeah. definition of what is the world. 
que es el mundo, yes, right? Yes, so, yes. And I, I have stories. The, in the, in the, we have an entire podcast. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we as Latinos in our churches and what we do is we romanticize it. And we 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 are very romantic. You know, yeah. up in the pulpit, you know, we, we get, you know, the pastors and the preachers, they scream out of their lungs, don't go and don't do this and don't watch this TV and be careful with Harry Potter and watch with this. And it, and some of us are just sitting there laughing, like chill. I just read it, or I'm reading it in church. Nothing's happening, and there's a lot of these stigmas that um, is being put down. And some of it is by fear. Some of it is by uh, uneducated uh, leadership. Some of it is um, by even some e economic instances where uh, we got to watch out. You know, like we, as Latinos, most of you know, there's a good old chunk of us that are undocumented and. You know, even going outside and driving a car without having proper documentation is scary. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a good choice. You know, it's a good choice not to go out as much because, you know, you got to watch yourself. Yeah. That's the that's the live reality that we have to face. So I guess to continue with the questions, you yeah. know, what, what started, you know, the, those questions and, and being in the world and what is being, you know, mundano and not being mm -hmm. a mundano. Um, how did you question. start on your theological journey? Uh, so, so my faith and my theological journey are, are probably two different things that have come together lately, uh, later in life. I think my faith has always been something, a part of me that I've been trying to figure out, understanding um, where, who, where I put my trust, uh, who, what in life gives me energy uh, to, to, to go up a day. And these are all philosophical questions, I think, when I think about faith. But theology started coming to me. When I was a little older and I started to get more involved in the church and I had per se like a, you know, like a men, in Spanish, we say, nos uh, integramos, uh, we, we integrate back into, you know, we, yeah. we kind of come back. We do a, a recommitment is what we say um, back into the church. And about when I was 19 or 20, that was kind of my recommitment. I, in a sense, I was yearning for the scriptures. It started with the scriptures. I think for as an evangelical Pentecostal, you, we look to the Bible very highly. We have a high view of, uh, of scripture. And I went to the Bible, started reading the Bible. I started doing my best to do what it says. And it started from there. Um, but, uh, but a lot of my understanding was limited. A lot of the, what, I've, what I was reading and what I was trying to learn, it was limited to my own experience and so I wanted to learn how to read the Bible I wanted to learn what it meant you know sometimes the Old Testament was so confusing for me and I had to look up other books to help me understand what the under you know the Old Testament helped and and one of those people uh, of the many mentors one of the more important was with my dad he went to Fuller he studied at Fuller he got his MDiv there and he was one of the main sources that I had uh, to help me to figure some of this out uh, but I also understood that I, I was starting to, you know, as I was preaching, as I was starting to teach, I was starting to live my life. I was, I was starting to love this idea of of uh, of God through Scripture and and viewing God through life. And and I found out that's what theology is. It's it's is this uh, kind of uh, principles of God, this philosophy of God, if you will. You know, you understand God in a different way. Um, and it's something that I wanted to pursue. So I ended up, you know, late a couple years into ministry per se. I um, I got an opportunity to go in the middle of nowhere, uh, Kansas. 
and I got the opportunity to study at this small, tiny Quaker Bible college. Awesome. It, it was in the middle of farms upon farms upon farms. There were nothing but tractors and pickup trucks and livestock. And in this small town, I was 200 miles from the, the major city. Uh, so I was pretty much stuck. But uh, it was a beautiful experience where I needed to be away from my people, my family, everything, as hard as it was, and to understand who I was in God. And I think that was one of the prayers I wanted. And that's where I started to un learn and study theology and the Bible deeper. And it really helped me. So about when I was uh, 19, 20, 20, in my early 20s, I started to study theology, and I graduated uh, from there with a you know, degree in Bible and theology. That's awesome. Yeah. And so for me, uh, I hate to repeat myself from the previous podcast, but well, I think we were talking about this earlier where my experience was, you know, the, the, you would hear a phrase all the time. Uh, it was called uh, la mucha letra mata el espíritu, mm. right? And that was the yeah, way yeah. that scripture was, was used. <laughs> and it was used to encourage you not to read mm -hmm. the wrong type of books and not mm -hmm. to read too much that you should focus on scripture alone and let the Holy Spirit guide you. Mm -hmm. And over time, when those questions start popping up, as you're talking, when those questions start popping up, uh, you can't go to outside sources, and mm -hmm. you start to see that mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot, some of the, the, the preaching was advice and opinions mm -hmm. instead of like actually inspired and thought out and, yeah. and well studied yeah. sort of sort of sermons and teachings, and mm -hmm. you know, in a small community, it it after a while you start to see that it's not sustainable. Um, what was your experience as far as were you encouraged to to pursue a theological education? Well, one of the things that, like I mentioned, my dad he was he had a, a formal theological education at at, uh, at here in Southern California, one of the That's best awesome. seminaries, and he was he had a, a compared to other Latino pastors that I've gotten to know in uh, in, in Pentecostal churches, you know, they, he was a little bit more open. He was. He went. He was part of different denominations, part of the Reformed Church of America, part of the Quakers, and a part of the Pente Pen Pentecostal Assemblies of God. And those are totally different things. So he it's, was he was ecumenical before. He, he was ecumenical before, <laughs> before it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> if that ever seemed anything. And the funny thing is that I I was along for the ride, even though I didn't get all that. That's great. But so when I started to study theology, it was funny to to look at his library differently, and I started yeah. to recognize some of the names like Justo Gonzalez. And and Rene Padilla and, yeah. uh, and some of these people that I've, it was always there. It's always that little old book, and I'm like, okay, now I uh, want to read that book. But honestly, it started from my critique for the Latino Church. Yeah. And oh man, so so, so I'm gonna me, cut you off, but it yeah, reminds yeah. me of James, this James Baldwin quote where he says that he loves America so much that he wants. I'm totally there destroying it, is. it. There it is. But he loves yes. America so much that he has to criticize it. Yes. Yes. Um, and yes. so, yeah, and this is one of the reasons. Oh, so, you know, disclaimer for, you know, we're talking about the Latino church. We're talking yes. about our experience. And and it's because we love it. It's mm. because these people and these pastors for all the things that are done wrong. Mm -hmm. This is a disclaimer, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it, right? Because these people are passionate. These pastors mm -hmm. are passionate. They're loving. And we love it so much that you mm -hmm. want to make it, pull it and push it towards it being what it fully should be in Christ. So, so, so I don't mean to interrupt yeah, you, but no, go ahead. This is this is helpful because James Baldwin, 
his goals when it comes to loving um, your own people. And that yeah. I didn't start there, dude. I, yeah. I started with a very heavy critique, not not only on Latino church, but my my pastor. Yeah. And all my life, I had one pastor that was my dad. Yeah. And that messed with me psychologically and theologically and all these things. Because I was not only criticizing the Latino church. I was going up against my dad and challenging him about why he was preaching this and what he was saying about this. And why are, is our pedagogy like this? Or why are we doing things the same way? Why isn't our church growing? Why is it that we keep doing the same thing? What is our relationship with the with the Anglos? What is our relationship with our community? Why aren't we saying anything about politicals or politics in our days? You know, and, and some of these questions he couldn't answer me. And some of these questions other leaders and missionaries couldn't answer me. And actually, that was one of my frustrations that I, because of my critique about the Latino church, I started to gain this kind of disdain for it. I, I started to say, you know, we don't do our church on time like the white folks do. We don't we don't yeah. have the resources they do. We don't have the big buildings. It's because we're disorganized. It's because, you know, we don't we don't have this. We don't have that. You know, all these things. And I was, man, for the first couple of years, I was all my critique was hate was yeah. I was a hater. And I didn't, I wanted to get out of the church. And honestly, if I said, if I'm ever going to, you know, my dad even, even agreed. Like, to be a professional pastor in the Latino church does not look good. There's, there's, unless you're, you're the son of Marcos Wheat, unless you're the, you know, all these big old evangelists that are making tons of money with big old mega churches. But the, the primary, primary churches that are here, at least in Southern California, are storefront Pentecostal churches that yeah. are under 100 people. Yes. About an average of 60 to 80 that yes. were, was my and church. They, and they all have uh, yeah. La Batalla de Jericho Incorporated. Yes, yes. We got the big old, we got the shofar. <laughs> oh my God, we got everything, man. And so we, think of we, a good, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah, but yeah, yeah. This, this, think of a good Pentecostal church name, right? It was like oh Mission Bethlehem, Ebenezer. All these things, man. It's all Hebrew for some reason. Yeah, and Hubilo was all up in there. <laughs> we, we, you know, we'd be danzando and everything. Incorporated. <laughs> if they were smart. If they were, yeah. So, so no, that's good, dude. Because that's real, man. That's yeah. what we grew up in. As Pentecostales, we went. We never had a community. We kind of dug our roots. You know, we we think about uh, one of the reasons Catholics do so well is because they think about a parish. They think about a dedicated space where they're going to dig roots. But us as immigrant churches, we go from rent to rent to rent, either because we get kicked out, we don't pay the rent, or because we don't have enough money, something happens at the church, we don't raise enough money, and we go from little place to little place to little place, and the church still survives that way. So that's where I started to see my frustration with, so the mega church, right? Mm -hmm. You see the mega church, the worldwide mega church. Um, you know, rock concert for Jesus churches. Yeah. That that's the standard, right? The standard is you have the nice stage, you have the the great band, yeah, yeah. you've got this, you've got all that, right? Mm -hmm. And so that gets made to be the standard, mm. and it puts pressure on these small churches mm. to say, "Hey, I don't have a thousand people. I don't have three services. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get here on time. We have." A small community, so by default we don't they don't want a parish, but it ends up becoming a parish mm -hmm. but it it's that i think I think i now that I'm starting to see I, I'm starting to show a little bit more grace mm -hmm. towards that as you're saying you move towards because i I was all about critique, I was all exactly what you're saying, I went yeah. through the same thing, hey. but I realized that the pressure comes from the outside mm -hmm. 
from seeing these churches, from seeing these big evangelists, from seeing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hurting these smaller churches to, to want to be something that they, they shouldn't yeah. be and something that they can't be. Mm -hmm. And it hurts a lot of people. So we could talk about Andy Stanley, Greg Laurie, about these big names here. And they're not the ones that are feeding that pressure. The, the ones that are feeding the pressure are the big names in the Latino churches is Marcos Wee, mm -hmm. is Dante Hebel. Yeah. It, it is all these these uh, mega arena pastors that every uh, every Latino pastor is trying to emulate. Mm -hmm. It's because that's the leadership they grew up with. That's what they heard. They grew up in the church growth development movement earlier because that, that's what was hot. You know, you got to get a mega church. You got to get a lot of people in there, it, especially in the U.S. It blew up in Latin America, like Cash Luna and all those dudes. But it doesn't translate well over here, especially in the U.S. We don't got the resources, and we're not citizens. Of, most of us are not citizens of this land. We can't just go around barefoot just doing whatever we want here. Uh, we're a marginalized people, and and it's difficult. Right, the resources aren't there. No, we don't We don't have access to that. Like you said earlier, incorporated. I, I, most of the churches that I've been a part of or that I've witnessed are not really incorporated. Yeah. They do their best, you know, under the table because there's a lot of risky factors that they don't want to get into. And mm -hmm. it's and it's difficult. And a lot of our pastors are actually bivocational. Yeah. And they have to be. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have to do something on the side to to make some money or they're or the unsung heroes are the women of the Latino church. It is the, hermanas, the pastora, the pastoras. hermanas that are working twice as hard to not just keeping the church up, but making the tamales to oh. make it and to keep up every, to whenever it is, what are the pastores doing? Just putting the sound system together just, just to get everyone out to come. But the real work is in the midnight where they're, las hermanas, they got it all together. The kids are putting yeah. it together. The youth are outside holding dumb signs just so they could come to the car wash. All these, all these things, you know, it, it, we it's, explo work. It's, it's work. And honestly, we, the Latino church has, has exploited women and the work of women, and they're the unsung heroes of the, and the, yeah. the growth of La and the sustainability of the Latino church. But that's yeah. where I was, though. Right. So the, the hermanas, I mean, we're there. So I want to yeah. talk about the hermanas and, yeah. and, the, yeah, yeah. and the, as elders and, and seeing, hmm. seeing that they're the ones that are faithful. And the, I mean, I had, I could talk about so many hermanas that were there that would, would be there in prayer mm, and would always have you, you make fun of them you know you'd make fun because all oh, that hermana <laughs> always have the same petition they always have the same petition you know about their son and about and you can just name go to any church and you'll find that hermana but whatever we can say bad about them to critique them they were faithful mm. never missed and they and you see that you see that hey what what is it about the husband and this is not even talking about other things within the household but we were talking about mm. just faithful Christian grown men mm -hmm. that can be faithful in the church and they're not and their wives are yep. and their wives are making pupusas making tamales yes. making uh, sopes pozole to raise yeah. money for so it the reminds brand. me of the widow right yeah, the exactly. widow with the two the widow's might yeah. the, the widow's might yeah and um, it, how she gave to something that was ultimately going to be destroyed mm -hmm. right she gave to a temple that was going to be destroyed she and she gave all she had yeah. and jesus saw that as faithful even though you're giving your the last he was critiquing the system in place as you're saying that that, that we've taken advantage of our hermanas mm -hmm. and so totally, totally. I, I have hope because i do see it i do see a lot of hermanas you know doing a lot of things and yeah. in in doing research for this podcast yeah there are so many latina young latinas that are 
in the academy that are that are um, that are getting their PhD that are that are oh. theologians. Oh man, yep. And we're getting a very comprehensive theology from women, not yes. only from African American women in the womanist tradition or in or the Black feminist tradition. We're getting it from uh, the Latina feminists, from the Latinx. Uh, scholars, we're getting a more uh, an understand a, a more comprehensive understanding because they were the ones that were even more pushed uh, than the men were in the churches. Uh, we always have to remember that our our ethnic churches, our Latino churches, would not be where they're at if it wasn't for the perseverance, the prayers uh, of these Latino hermanas in, in every kind. And I think um, I think that they continue to go un, unheard uh, as much as we do. But some, some traditions do it better. I know that yeah. at least Asambleas, where I grew up in that kind of Pentecostalism, I, I see women preachers, profetas, yes. and, and singers and worship leaders. Uh, but whenever it came to the, to, the big, um, to the big decisions, all those things, the hermanas weren't taken as seriously. Right. So they're, they're there and they're yeah. active and they serve. And yeah. they, they have their they credential, been, yeah. and they, they're educated, and they, they do that. But, yeah, it's when it comes to the decisions, yeah. when it comes to the actual yeah. voting process, it's for some reason. Yeah. That's where we allow, I guess, the machismo of Latinos oh, yes. Yes, that yes. we have it's, to talk about. So it's countercultural yeah. to, to, to say something like this. It's against our machista culture to, to kind of put away this idea of the man being the provider, the man being... Uh, the right, the right uh, vessel through yeah. which God speaks, and not understanding uh, that God speaks through women, and maybe just as powerfully, or even more, that we could hear. I, and honestly, women in leadership, um, especially in the Latino Church, is something that's a big issue that hasn't been fully resolved yet. Yeah. A friend of mine, Giuliani uh, Nieves, I, uh, I think it was others or. Um, excuse me if I forgot her name. She came out with the latest ATS, the uh, Association of Theological Schools, and less than 2% of women in MDiv programs that are teaching on faculty and area, less than 2% are women in all of these ATS schools. And what that says to me is that if this is what the academy is at, imagine where the church is at. And yeah. I know, And but the thing is that the church, you you look at it with a bunch of women, but when it comes to... Uh, understanding the influencers, we don't look at women first, and that's where we need to change. And I yeah. think that's where a lot of, that's where a lot, a lot of my um, longevity in ministry has been through the prayers and through the love and the cariño of our, our hermanas. So let's talk about Justo Gonzalez mañana, and um, it was a really influential book for me, as far as being Hispanic, being Latino. Mm-hmm. And the the point of view that we have when we can read the Bible, mm-hmm. when we read the Bible, and, and how we interpret. So there's an excerpt, excerpt yeah. from that that you wanted to read. Yeah, and, and, and this wasn't written by Justo. This was actually written by uh, Eli, uh, uh, Virgilio Elizondo. And that's He's in a, the introduction? Yeah, it's okay. here in the foreword written by Virgilio Elizondo. And he, Virgilio Elizondo, Dr. Elizondo, is a priest from San Antonio. And this honestly helps me gives me great context to understand where i went from a latino church hater to a, a latino church lover and this is what some of the some of his words just hit it and he says i am the pastor of a very large parish 
of the poorest of San Antonio, Texas. Each day, I discover new and fascinating aspects about God in the faith expressions of my people. And as I reflect upon my own faith journey and recall the faith of my grandparents and my parents, I recognize that I learn much more about the God of our Christian faith from them than I have from the finest theologians of our Catholic or Protestant churches. Our, our theologians speak a lot about God, but my parents and God, grandparents knew God personally. Their knowledge of God contains to be much more dynamic and exciting, for it is far better to know someone personally than merely know, to know a lot about someone. My family never read the scriptures and knew nothing about the formal teachings of our Catholic Church, but they were people of deep faith and fascinating theological insights. My father hardly knew how to read, but his understanding of God is still my own most precious understanding of God today, far richer than any I have encountered in the best of theologians I have read or studied. Our people were not people of books, but they were definitely people of profound and living faith. Faith for them was not a theological ideology or a bunch of theological propositions to be believed, denied, or argued, or even endless litany of biblical quotes. Faith was the unquestioned personal knowledge, trust, and love of God who is the source of our existence in La Divina Providencia. Wow. And so that pretty much sets the tone for what Justo writes in Mañana, uh, Christian Theology from a Hispanic Perspective. Um, it really helps me to go back to that, you know, uh, Latino hater to a Latino lover in the church of how I started to pursue, you know, this even this evangelicalism, this, uh, the white church, uh, the white evangelical church. And I, I went to Kansas, I started, you know, being more involved in these white churches and thinking that this is where I was going to be because what they got, they got actually money to pay out for positions they got benefits they got resources their people come on time blah 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 i could give you the list of reasons why i thought it was good um but i was uh, as i was getting more and more involved i started to figure out how much of a minority i was i was and i was becoming and that the that i was missing my people i was missing my culture i was i was being detached from an identity that I've held to so long. And the minute I start to talk about my identity and start to question some of these uh, these white evangelical kind of presuppositions of ministry and calling, uh, it would not go right. It would be, or at the very least, it would be contextual. Like, oh, that's just, that's how you see it. And that's how it is for you. It, it, it's not a, a general understanding like it is in in most the in most seminaries and most evangelical churches where we think that white evangelicalism applies to everyone when it really doesn't and when i got more and more involved in churches i under, i've had to understand and come to grips with that my latino identity not only was was helped me explain where my ideas and beliefs come from but it actually gave me life and it can gave me per, uh, it gave me a longevity to continue into ministry and going back to my roots. And that is something that has helped me and continues to help me to this day. It's really good. And it, it just reminded me, I mean, in my own experience, um, 
it's that right kind of the, exactly the same experience you went to where you you kind of reach a point where you've read the bible every day mm -hmm. you you've kind of memorized mm -hmm. it back and forth and and you just don't don't understand the context of it mm -hmm. and for me that that journey from pentecostalism led me to finally reading about church history right and mm -hmm. learning about the liturgy and learning about uh, communion yes. so i got myself in trouble in a whole heap of trouble mm -hmm. because i under i started studying how the early church viewed the table and viewed communion yeah and and viewed that right so you know for i think latino pentecostals we had our own version you know in, in our context we had it once a month mm -hmm. and it yep. was uh, the first sunday of the month yep and mm -hmm. it was so holy mm -hmm. that if you sin that week <laughs> so so here's the thing it was it was <laughs> What do you call it? It's uh, it was symbolic, right? It was always specified okay. that we yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. you know, the, these these acts don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. symbolic, yeah, yeah. but you we had the faith. We didn't have the faith that it could transform you, but we had the <laughs> faith enough that it could kill you. Yeah, that's true, right? Because people would not take it if they sin that week. So you know, you pass it to your the youth, and you'd have youth that wouldn't take it because it's like yeah, I sin that week because the scripture says, right? Yeah. You know, test yourself before you eat this because so we had the faith oh that you know we could re we could read read it that way. Yeah. And and so that led me <laughs> to have a lot of different questions, right? Yeah. And so there is a if there's a journey that a lot of white evangelicals are taking that it are moving away from, you know, the 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 Bible as basic instructions for leaving earth and, and you know, a fundamentalist reading of scripture mm. and moving towards the liturgy moving towards you know the early church practices and that kind of caught my attention in seeing that hey you know this is what the early church used to do and so to a lot of to a lot of these um you know white evangelicals white pentecostals uh seeing seeing their joy and seeing the journey that they were making kind of out stepping outside of their circles you know i was able to see hey you know where it wasn't strange for me because what they were doing is wait they're just so they're sometimes you know cosas de católicos, right? They're doing stuff for Catholic stuff that I was that we were told you don't do, you don't take communion weekly, like Lent. you don't, like right? Lent. You don't practice Lent, you don't <laughs> no. practice uh, you las know, posadas, you don't, las posadas, la and rosca, and all that. Yeah. So in reading mañana and in reading a lot of seeing a lot of Latino theologians and just paying finally paying attention at thirty years old, hmm. paying attention to the Catholic faith hmm. and understanding that. My culture, our culture, colonized as it was, mm -hmm. was already living, what you just read, was already living out the faith. It's already, they followed the church already, calendar. Yep. They understand what it means to take communion weekly. Mm -hmm. They weren't trying to save the world. They were trying to live in the world. Yeah. You know, the rosca and uh, las, las fiestas during Semana Santa, during Holy Week. I mean, entire towns come to a stop and have a... <laughs> can you imagine that here? Yeah. Like an entire town stops. So that you can celebrate Holy Week, and that says so much of us as a Latino people. It's it, it, our idea of faith is so integrated as an idea of community. Yeah, you know, we be, that probably explains where I get all this idea of community and how I view God through community. But this is how we uh, we participate in the the grand theological conversation nice. of our practices and our deep understanding of God that we we do we. Choose not to even if we think about it symbolically, we don't even choose to do it because we highly respect and we have a great devotion uh, 
to to these principles, something that Jesus did. Honestly, one of the the only reasons why uh, a lot of the Pentecostal pastors would tell me about baptism, communion, they would say it's because Jesus did it. Right. You know, and and there's a lot of other people that that wouldn't go straight to that. You know, that that would say that Jesus did it. And one of those, oh, one of those things. Um, and the one of the things that I that has um, helped me come back to my Latino evangelical Latino evangelicalism instead of going back and trying to kind of reform the white evangelical church has been these recent elections has been in 2016 the election that we just passed and this whole new era of Trump and what that means and I think I've told you that after after the November elections I I don't think I could go back and 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 be a part of, a, of white evangelicalism when the majority of the voters were white evangelical, about seventy percent uh, were were evangelical, white evangelical voters. Um, not to say that we're we're clean. Thirty three percent apparently was uh, Latinos, but understand understand that that's not the majority of Latinos in the U.S. Those are the ones that voted, which half of the U.S. voted, and those are the ones that are documented. And there's a lot of 11 million people that would have voted against that. And so there's a lot of, that doesn't really tell us something, but it does tell us, that gives us a factor that we have to deal with in the Latino church. Mm -hmm. We have to deal with fundamentalism. We have to deal with sexism. We have to deal with racism in the Latino church. We have to deal with old leadership that doesn't want to pass the baton down. We have to deal with capitalist uh, um, ideas that, that infiltrate our church plant settings. That, uh, that This idea of to be uh, white supremacy is the best idea and the only way to do church. That's not the way to do it. And I think uh, a lot of us that are are kind of iffy about being evangelical or calling themselves evangelical, I understand where they're at. Uh, but I think I think we can't leave the Latino church alone. We can't leave them where they're at. We need to not only just come back and be participants of the church, but we need to be prepared to help the church move in the into a new gener with the new generation to new ideas, and that's one of the things that I think I've I've come around with lately in uh, in my life and in my ministry. One of the books that was formative for me uh, in that I was taking a class in, in seminary, it was a I believe it was a Christology class, but I read uh, J. Cameron Carter's uh, Race: A Theological Account, mm -hmm. and it kind of talks about breaks down the how the concept of race kind of was started. Mm -hmm. And in, in one part of it was that the church tried to distance itself and differentiate itself from uh, the Jewish people mm -hmm. and to say, well, Christians are this and Jews are this and kind of othered Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a quote in there that he mentions about, and, and, and I, it always sticks with me when, when talking about these issues of, uh, you know, quote unquote, white, white supremacy that he mentions, J. Cameron Carter mentions that, I'm kind of, you know, I'm terrible at, at quoting things rightly, but he he does talk about understanding the difference that it it's not our white brothers and sisters that are the enemy. Mm -hmm. It's the concept of whiteness as mm -hmm. a standard. Yes. And the idea of, of naming, you know, like in scripture, I'm going to get very Pentecostes right now, you know, Echale. you have to name the demon. Actually. Mm -hmm. You have to name the demon, and it's it's whiteness, and it affects Latinos as well. I mean, just look at our TV shows. Look at, 
you know, it affects everything all the way, all the way through. Yeah. And understanding that even, even in class, right, as far as uh, poor white people and how they're suffering and um, even, even people right now with the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we can talk about, you know, crack, cocaine and all the stuff that happened in the 80s to, to black people or even with marijuana, how now it's legal and all the time in the 90s that people did, you know, selling weed. You, you see how these systems kind of start oppressing people Right. And and there's layers to it as far as, you know, it's race, class, you know, sex. It, it's it's yeah. like you said, we have to be clear yeah. where we're at and what we're talking about. Yeah. And um, the, 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 the point all that to all that to say is, as you were mentioning, understanding where we're at fault, mm-hmm. understanding what the actual enemy is mm-hmm. and. That it's. I mean, we talked. We talked about it. Right? Scripture says it's. We we don't fight against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, mm-hmm. and these powers and principalities affect everyone. Uh, and 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 it's that. And in seeing ourselves, I think if if we're able to see ourselves and critique ourselves, we'd be a, we are able to to talk about these things faithfully. Right. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, not disconnect us, disconnect ourselves. I guess the answer is not just creating a perfect Latino Latino community. Yeah, you know I mean? and, and, and cutting that's, ourselves off. And that's what that that's the challenge because we as Latinos are very diverse, even in our own culture. Uh, right. And this is where this idea of mestizaje comes with our idea with our idea and our identity and how we as brown people, we as Latinos, we as Chicanos, we as whatever you want to call yourselves, we have a very hard time of identifying ourselves fully. Uh, this this Latino, Latinx, Latina. Uh, under you know Hispanic whatever you want to do these are just all, all these other labels that that help understand who we are but also at the same time it, it continues to um, to to derail us from understanding um, how to go back to our roots and, and figure out our history and what we are I was born in Lima Peru I I grew I grew up in the U.S. You know, I didn't grow up in the East Coast. I grew up in the West Coast. I didn't grow up in L.A. I grew up in O.C. And, and all those things are all different all, identities, yes, right? Yes, they're hardcore So, like, different. you living in O.C. and, you know, uh, for us, you know, growing up in South Central, mm-hmm. you know, I had friends that would go to uh, high school in East L.A., right? And yeah. so, even in, in high school in East L.A., people that lived in East L.A. had beef with people that lived in, that Latinos yeah. that lived in South Central. Yeah. And so, then you talk about O.C., right? O.C. And all Latinos <laughs> that live in O.C., so we're yeah. always, even within Latinos, there's always the we joke about this, but the the whole crabs in a barrel, right? Hmm. Crabs in a barrel. That if you see one person kind of making it and finding their identity, <laughs> the other ones start pulling them down. And what is nada? You know, that's what you it is. You so the kind of that's yeah, a plug yeah. for the, the the podcast of Spanglish Seminary, right? Living in between in that in between space, yeah. Of where do we belong? It's always going to be a part of us. We, I don't honestly, I don't think we're ever going to belong, dude, right. because our idea of a Latino identity is always a mix. It's mestizaje. It comes. Our birth of our Latinism comes from a, a, a very tragic history where uh, the conquistadores raped our indigenous mothers and started to create these per se hybrids of people. 
that they were not in, not fully indigenous or not fully Hispanic or European, but it was a mix. But it continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And then we have this this Latino people. We come even from a messed up messed up understanding and yeah. our background and our heritage and our lineage. If we go back into history, continue to read more, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And we are going to get even more terrified of what our ancestors had to go through. But the good thing about the gospel and the good thing about Jesus is that we look at Matthew 1 and we read the lineage and we read, we know the stories. We know the name of Bathsheba. We know the name of David. We know where uh, what he did and how he raped Bathsheba what, and, and the horrors he did. And Jesus is one of the things that uh, Virgilio would say he is, the, is the ultimate mestizo Christ. That his identity as mix and his identity as as an in-between can help us as Latinos to understand our identity as an in-between. Yeah. And that gives us uh, an edge, maybe a closeness. Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez would call, would call it a, a preferential option for the poor. And most of our our race, our, per se, our, this social construct of a race, our, our identity, are in poverty here in the U.S. and in Latin America as well. Yeah. So... It's part of that. It, 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 we can't get away from it, you know, and it's it's difficult. And it's I think it's it's always going to be a challenge for us to figure it out. Yeah, you have to have to accept it and and be present in in understanding the past. It, it reminds so this quote and you know as a, a terrible seminary and I don't have my source, but I remembered the quote in, a, in in one of the papers that I was writing that was talking about the history of Pentecostalism and its spread through uh, South America. That it, it says that, you know, uh, liberation theology says that God has a pre- preferential, what was the quote you said? Options for Prefer- the poor. Option for the poor. Yeah. But the poor have selected, have had a preferential option for Pentecostalism. <laughs> and mm, yeah, it's something, yeah. I mean, it's, well. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and it's not, the point is not to denounce, you know, uh, liberation theology. It, right, it, right. it obviously has a, a, a great thing to show us and to and to you know teach us and shape us just like pentecostalism you know i mean here we are we're two three pentecostals sitting here you know making yeah. a podcast um but the the idea of that we have to see the how and the why that whether whether we critique it or not or whether what is actually happening is that pentecostalism is and it's different than yeah. here for us you know, we can we're we're in our context. We're talking about Pentecostalism in Southern California, mm. in California, in as far as you know our denomination reaches, right? Mm. Let's say United States, but Pentecostalism is I'm sure it's different in Venezuela. I'm sure it's different in Peru. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it doesn't always reach the 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 temptations that we have. They don't have, mm-hmm. and my hope is that in this conversation between let's just say for now liberation theology and Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. That that the spirit is doing something within because the, the voice of theology is shifting away from the, the United States from North America. Seems like it, yeah. It's shifting down towards South. America. I think it's I think it's losing. I think the institution it's losing yes. its influence. I think seminaries are closing down. Christian schools are not being as popular. They're becoming more like universities per se, offering more than just a Bible degree or ministry degree. I think the influence that it used to have is coming low and low and low. The institution is. But I think the thirst and the hunger for good theology and for for having for understanding God especially in the times right now is more than anything if you yeah. if you just spend a couple a couple minutes on facebook 
some of the videos or some of the things on YouTube will always be about something about God, something about uh, 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 some pop artist talking about God or using uh, biblical lyrics or understanding yeah. or asking the big these big philosophical questions that that um, that religion can sometimes answer, but it sometimes cannot. And there's a lot of things that are even blamed on religion and yeah. and, and and what we perpetuate in churches. Um, so I think. I think theology is not leaving so much the U.S. as I think when people compare Europe and the U.S. Yeah. and say, oh, whatever's happening in Europe is going to happen in the U.S., I think it's different uh, because there's a lot of people, different kinds of people coming to the U.S. and the U.S. is a whole other ballgame than Europe. Right. Uh, but I do agree that the institutions are losing um, in, in, in that sense of the word, uh, which is why one of the important things is that uh, that I think I've come around to recently is that we can't lose our leadership. We can't lose these young minds, these young women and men. Uh, we can't lose them to to anywhere else. We need them in the church. We need them in these conversations. We need them to learn good theology, ethics. We need them to learn scripture. We need them to apply all that to social to social understandings and things that are happening yeah. when it comes to Black Lives Matter, when it comes to the to politics and community development and all these things that are affecting us as a people, not because it's cool and because it's it's relevant, uh, it's because it's always been relevant. You know, uh, immigration right now is one of the biggest topics uh, in politics right now, especially with Trump and his, what he's doing. But us as Latinos have always been talking about and understanding immigration since we were kids. We were in our, you know, in Los Oraciones, we would always yeah. pray for someone to cross the border safely. safely. And we would always have a big fiesta when they would come. When they would come, and they'll be in the church, and they'll be already, you know, they would bring yeah. them to the church to celebrate. And that's that is that is something very that we need to um, accept and understand, and that we can contribute to the conversation, not just theologically, but we can contribute to the conversation, the meta conversations going on right now yeah. as Latinos. But a lot of us have to come together, and we have to connect. So. That's a great segue into us talking about the Brown Ecclesial Network. Yep. And uh, you guys can look it up on Facebook, mm -hmm. Brown Ecclesial Network. Yep. And uh, tell us about it. Man, the Brown Ecclesial Network. So um, the Brown Ecclesial Network is came together by uh, a group of people last summer in the summer of 2016, no, 2015, I believe. No, 2016. Yeah, it's 10 and 10. In the summer of 2016, after uh, a major conference in LA, a community development conference called CCDA, uh, came to Los Angeles. And uh, it, it, it kind of surrounded uh, around a group of people and an idea of creating a space or creating some sort of network, a space for Latinos to talk about some of the issues that were not talked about in the local church context. They were issues of politics. They were issues of advocacy. They were issues of, uh, um, or they were bigger topics like the LGBTQ community and 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 the way that we have been uh, not been as so friendly with them and accepting to them and and helping them and being there for them. And so, what do we do? Uh, conversations uh, of economics and what do we do when uh, when we have really poor minimum wage in Los Angeles, super expensive to live. All these questions that we usually don't talk about in the local church and a lot of us that are actively engaged in the community and engaged in seminary or engaged in, in, in whatever, 
we, we, we found each other and we ended up just meeting. And so the Brown Ecclesial Network, it kind of, the idea of Brown was one of the things that I, w- I kind of had uh, some hesitancy because, you know, there's a lot of things that are brown, you know. Yeah. I know uh, people from India call themselves brown. I know that there's Latinos that call themselves brown, but also you got uh, the African-American community calls themselves brown. So there's all these things, uh, but I think it came from uh, kind of this understanding from uh, this uh, professor from UCLA at Chicano Studies. Uh, his name is Robert Chad Romero, that is uh, is currently writing a book about the Brown Church and talking about Brown as a concept, uh, 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 an identity living in between the black and the white world, in between all these two worlds, and, and a mixing of both. Uh, but this is not a new concept. Uh, this has been talked about like the third culture or the in-between or the hyphen this. And so there's, it's, oh, this is just another expression in Los Angeles that has been growing. And, it, and it's pretty much Latinos that are like-minded that are wanting to dig deeper into these questions to, to do that, to have a safe place for that, but also to network, to get together, to support each other, to say, hey, I, I'm glad you and I could talk about this and we don't have to judge each other or be careful what we say. Uh, the Brown Ecclesial Network is 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 growing to be some sort of a family of a network of of Latinos uh, that are wanting to engage in some of these things uh, and kind of and and kind of move the Latino Church in a, in a progressive uh, movement. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it's it's been it's been great to see on my end being a part of the a Brown Ecclesial Network. Mm-hmm. It's been great to see in two ways that I'm not alone, mm. but also that my story is not everyone's story in that sure I was hurt by the church sure I had these critiques sure these things happened to me but hey there's people that had great experiences in the Latino church there's people that have been faithful there's so it gave me hope that hey you know what it's not a monolith Mm -hmm. it's not this one thing that every every street corner Latino church is exactly the same Uh, and but at the same time we we are the same in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and so it, it just gave me hope in that way. So you guys check it out. We'll have we're actually gonna have Robert Chad Romero in yeah, a future podcast. That's awesome. Uh, hopefully, yeah. and, and let him talk about a little bit more in depth about his book yeah. and about the uh, Brown Ecclesial Network as well. Yeah, and and one of that's one of the things that I think our church, our Latinos, Latina Latino churches do so well. His community is getting together. But for some reason, we were seeing we seeing big numbers of young adult and college age kids leave the church, the Latino and Latina church, and leave them hanging, and they're not they don't they don't come back. But honest, you know, in, in all truth, it, I understand why they would leave and not come back. I understand why they would choose to study business psychology or engineering uh, instead of studying theology or philosophy or German literature. You know, because it's because we come from uh, families that that are trying to survive in this country. And so so what do we do and give them the same old things that they were the that our pastors were taught by missionaries and expected to fall on the same soil. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it needs to be re reintroduced. You know, we can't just keep reading the Reina Valera all our lives and under, try to understand the soys and the says, you know, we we have to we have we need new translations with a new language with the Chicano Bible. We need a, a new understanding of how we talk about God as Latinos uh, here in the West Coast, here in Southern California, just as in the East Coast, and with 
with Puerto Rico and the U.S. and in Latin America as well. But I can only speak for here in Southern California. Yeah. But I remember getting into ministry and and kind of opening up to these Latino theologians slowly. And dude, you got to know someone to know someone to to understand the name Justo Gonzalez yeah. or Rene Padilla or Samuel Escobar and understand where the where the real leaders are at, the people that you will look up to. And you got to dig and dig and dig and. And I felt alone. I remember when I was starting out at Bible college, I felt alone because I started to bring up all these questions that, as I had a Latino in a, in a room full of white people that didn't get me at all and they didn't have any context for me. And they looked at me just with white eyes and couldn't understand. Right. I felt alone, not only in the academy, I felt alone in ministry. Would I, whenever I would talk about anything related to being a Latino, it's always... Just for your Latino church, this can apply to everyone else. And that would bug me because I wouldn't think that my contributions are are as loud as some someone else's contributions that yeah. are not necessarily uh, non-Latino. So one of the things that that I the Brown Ecclesial Network tries to do is connect people. And I'm glad you feel that way. And I, I hope uh, there are people that we could continue to connect and continue to grow um, just a, a presence in our churches and know that there's a community that is there for you, that that we could come together and support you wherever church you're at, let, with any denomination where you're at, even with whatever faith tradition. If you find, us, say, find yourself outside of, of Christianity, uh, we're Latinos and, and, and we are all in this together. And, and, we, and at least for me, my attitude is... Um, my attitude is from Jesus' attitude to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. This is where this is the altar call moment. If, right. if the band could come forward, okay. Que, que, que yeah. and, okay. And, uh, okay. <laughs> so we want to be. <laughs> Let's go. We um, we we need to um, <laughs> be respectful of your time as well. But yeah. So uh, our sound manager here, Roger, uh, lost his voice at the. Uh, at his second Kendrick Lamar concert hey, last night. Oh my gosh! I and wish I was uh, there. so future future commercial. I have some friends, and we're gonna kind of get together and try to break down the Kendrick Kendrick oh Lamar gosh. album, the I, Damn I album. Cam, yeah, Cam and uh, I have discussed, to say, you know, that's so much. Black Hebrew theology that he talks about. Kind of mentions that wow. in there. I just started reading about that. Yo. And there's a lot there. That's a, a plug for a future podcast. But yeah. Any Man, last last words, Roger, before we wrap this up? Man, thank you for coming. Um, thank you for your time. Yeah. And, uh, my second time meeting you. <laughs> it was fun. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of topics that, that I totally agree with you. You know, what, what it really impacted me on what you said was that as, um, you know, as a church, like when you, when you grow up in the church or you grew up in the roots, like you're limited to stuff, you know. Like, oh, you can't listen to certain music mm-hmm. because you know, um, you 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 you're not pure, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I was in the band at my church, mm, and I yeah. couldn't listen to certain music. That's true. Only like, the fish, bro. Exactly. Just stay to stick to that. <laughs> so, like, I, I would get. Um, they would sit me down because mm-hmm. I would I would have like my headphones on, and yeah. you know, I was a kid. I wanted yeah. to hear different music, and yep. that would. Disciplina, that's what it's called. <laughs> Disciplina, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, wow, that's cool. I would listen to, um, you know, to a lot of rock. Yeah. Of course, you know, because contemporary rock. I would listen to The Killers, 
Russell listens to rock and alternative. <laughs> yeah. We always, we always Bro, think Latinos are listening to reggaeton. We, I think Latinos single-handedly have kept Morrissey like, alive. <laughs> we, that's a, I want to talk about this that's another, another podcast. podcast. Yeah, but it, it can't... Yeah, they think we only listen to reggaeton and salsa and all, which is part of it, but... Man, we listen to Nirvana and all this. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, Nirvana. Like, Rage listen, Against the Machine. So exactly. smell it down. Don't yeah, get me know. started. And then that that actually, what a lot of people didn't know, like, I learned a lot of more music because of that. You know mm. what I mean? I, I learned I learned the, the fundamentals of music. Yes. The, the what to do, what not to do, <laughs> you know, the structures of yeah. it. So that, you know, that actually helped me out. And yes. I was able to... Um, I was able to help out my church with that, you know. Yeah. Like, I, um, I use that. I, I, I use that talent that, mm. that I had to like, um, you know, to listen to that that talent that I have and, and the love that I had to listen to music and to appreciate something so much that I would put that talent towards the church. But then there was uh, again, there was disciplina, and mm. that actually pushed me away from that from yes. the church. Yes. You know, like. I, I felt mm-hmm. like they didn't really understand what I was trying to do or, you know, what I was, my my, my big picture. Like, I really didn't, like, it, I didn't feel like I was away from God. Yes. Even though I was listening to that. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, at the end, I would I would go home and pray. You know, I would still read my word. Yes. But then again, like, all that controversy at the church made me not want to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we got to talk about that controversy. You know what I mean? Man. So, we can't get away from that controversy. You can't. No. You can't. So that really no. did impact me in my life. Um, yeah. You know, I, I started walking away, and little by little, you know. But um, I thank God. I thank God for His grace. You know that 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 still didn't stop me. I'm still here. Yeah. Um, I still have love for the for the Hispanic Church. Don't get me wrong. Heck man. yeah. Like Never you know, the alabanzas, the the I cadenas, love, the love, you know what I mean, coritos, <laughs> the coritos, and all that. Jubilo, exacto, man. Man, exacto. Oh my gosh. So you know, I still love that. I still have passion for that, yeah, man. Like man. that's still not gone. Like that's still not gone. You know, and and um, I, I thank God for for you know putting me in that church and still you know testing my. Fa- I feel like you know I was testing yep. my little bit of my faith. It you is. know, and and I and and what can I say? I mean. It, it's 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 amazing, you know that that that, that no matter what, what what we go through, that no no matter what happens, you know, you, there's still another day. Yep. You know what I mean. Man, and we need what we need, man, is is a church for you and a church for many that feel that like you. What would it look like for man. the for the preacher to quote Kendrick in his sermon? What would it look like to oh. hear, to hear, oh. you know, what would it look like for us to hear non, non-traditional fish worship music no. on the stage to actually be moved by, by a Coldplay song, you know, to be moved by some of these songs or what would it, what would it look like if the churches went out and protested and actually sat and, 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 and said Black Lives Matter? What, what would, we, would it look like? And I think that's the challenge for our generation is, Honestly, we got to we got to rethink the whole process, and oh, yeah. it's not going to be from anyone that is is considered a Gen X or a Boomer. As much as I think they're great leaders, I think their time has passed, and I think I think the millennials need to grab the baton, and we need as much as we need the honor from our older leadership. Uh, um, it, you know, I think we need to come up, and because you know it, your faith is important, yeah. and okay. all of us. Well, thank you. Yeah, for, for joining us, and uh, Problem, any man. any. 
Any last words of wisdom? <laughs> I said this last, last puzzle, but three points. Give us a three. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh! No, I'm gonna no, keep repeating the same it. jokes every no. every podcast, but no, just some last words before we oh, we finish. Man. So I think for I think one thing that I would this podcast is a blessing because I would I would always remember people on Facebook asking, "Hey, does anybody got a Latinx uh, theology uh, kind of podcast?" and the best we could say is, you know, Latino USA or listen to these sermons and it's not what it is. And um, I just want to I want to I want to bless this podcast and continue to take it where it needs to go. But I want to just also say um, I want to say to everyone out there listening to this, if they if they're if they really need someone to, to, to connect with them, um, connect with one of us or connect with someone at your church and uh We'll have the links and everything. And, yes. you know, this is the whole point, to connect with other people. And uh, let's just continue to stay connected and uh, walk with the Lord and be humble and do justice. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.